chapter 1 of all these people are in the line of Jesus. And you get a picture, as we've seen in Jacob and Rahab, and last week in David. Um, God's family has a lot to be ashamed of, and yet God is not ashamed to call them uh, his brothers and sisters because of what Jesus came to do. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at Hezekiah. He's one of the, the kings in the line of Jesus. He's not as well known as David, but uh, he, there's a lot, lot said about him in the Bible. He's one of the good kings in the history, but he's not perfect, as you will see. And so what happens as we read this when one of the good guys are left by themselves? <laughs> it's Isaiah chapter 38. Let's read it together and we'll pray and get started. This is God's word. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city. And this shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make that the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. And here we get a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol, which is another word for death, for hell, for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O oh, restore to me to health and make me live. And behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. And now Isaiah said, had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah also had said, 
What is the sign that I should go up to the house of the Lord? At that time, Merodach Beladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, oil his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to them, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they have seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come to you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. <laughs> then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to teach us the wonders of your grace. Uh, give us eyes to see us as we are, but also don't leave us alone. Uh, run to us with your mercy and show us that uh, where we are heartless, Jesus has a heart full of us and it's full of love. It's, an, it's a love that will never end and will always pursue us. We pray for us to get a taste of this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the passage ends in a pretty heartless manner, don't you think? You know, it's probably not something you want to hear your parents say of, you know, I, I know it's not going to go well with you, but I'll be dead. Good luck with that. At least I've been comfortable. <laughs> it's the very opposite of the American dream. It's, it's heartless. And at Christmas, when you think of heartlessness, who, who comes to mind? Scrooge. Nailed it. All right. Here's how Charles Dickens describes Scrooge. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, made his eyes red, his thin eyes blue, and he spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. All right, the, the poor, they're better off dead. They're going to might as well decrease the surplus population. All right. That's what we think of when we think of heartlessness. The Christmas Carol. Somebody who's so consumed with their own life, their own comfort, their own success, that they don't give a rip about the people around them. And the scary part about Dickens' tale, A Christmas Carol, is Scrooge had no idea he was a Scrooge. Right? It took a long, brutal look at his past, at his present, and at his future to see that he was a man who was in deep need of redemption, of need of help. Right? And as we look at Hezekiah, we, we, for most of his life, he has no idea that Scrooge has been lying dormant uh, in his heart. Until this moment when the Babylonians sent their representatives, and you got a glimpse of what Hezekiah is like deep down. 
He's a scrooge. And if you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible's history, that's fine. I mean, Hezekiah is later in the line of David. He's one of the kings of Israel, and he's one of the good kings. He brought spiritual renewal. He's kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. I mean, he, they destroyed idols. He brought people back to God. He fixed worship. He, he started bringing about a whole cultural change. And yet at the end of his life, we get a glimpse that he stumbled at the finish line. All right, and so in 2 Chronicles... 3231, I think it's printed for you in your outline. This is why God sent, allowed all this to happen. He says, In the case of the Babylonian envoys, God left Hezekiah to himself in order to test him and to see and to know what was in his heart. It's pretty brutal. That Hezekiah was blind like Scrooge, and God's created, he made this circumstance, he used this circumstance to show him what's in his heart. And there was pride, there was greed, uh, there was selfishness. I mean, I mean, you read it, he saw an opportunity to boast how, how great he was, how, how great his kingdom was, and he took it. And eventually, it led to his whole kingdom's destruction. I mean, he basically said, my sons will suffer, but I won't be there. It's no skin off my back. So the question is, as we look at this, you know, what's, what's in, hidden in your heart that you do not know about? And this is what we're sh being shown, that the very best of us, this is what Christmas is, is designed to do, that the show is the very best of us, have a deep struggle, a deep sin, a deep uh, battle raging on the inside. And God uses circumstances to know what's in our heart, to know what's in your heart. And it's not like he doesn't need help knowing. He's God. It's so that you can know and I can know. It's a revealing. And Hezekiah, when he was left to his own devices, so to speak, was shown that he had a Scrooge-like heart, that it's all about me. And so let me ask you if you've had this, this kind of conversation before. How do you respond when somebody comes up to you and says, maybe they might not call you a Scrooge, but say, you've been heartless and you've hurt me. Can you handle, can you handle the truth? <laughs> and the Bible says, puts these stories in here to show us that we shouldn't be ashamed of the truth. There's, a, there's an old story about Winston Churchill and his willingness to see himself as he really is. He's in his old age. You know who Churchill is. He was the man. He was the, the British prime minister who led, basically single-handedly carried the, the nation of Britain against Nazi Germany. He was bold. He was courageous. He, he had these great speeches that I'm not even going to try and imitate. But he's famous. And at the end of his age, to honor him, the nation of Britain commissioned this Graham Sutherland, an artist, to paint a portrait of him at age 80. And so the painting was, the, the portrait was painted, and they had this grand revealing in Westminster Abbey. They wanted everybody to see this and to celebrate this great man. And when the curtain came down, it said that Churchill had to smile to hide his disgust. I mean, it was an accurate painting. He was 80. 
And he made some comment about it being a, a patriotic piece of modern art. But secretly later, he resolved to get rid of this painting, and the artist found out. And so he drove over, and he wanted to have this conversation with Churchill and say, don't, don't throw away this work of art. And Churchill said, this is how he responds, that, that that's not a painting, that's a humiliation. I was portrayed as a broken, pitiful, sagging creature. You're not an artist, you're a Judas with a paintbrush. <laughs> to which Sutherland replied, it's, it's art, it's not vindictive. I'm just showing you what I see. And Churchill can't handle it. And they're, you know, they're going back and forth, and Sutherland finally explodes in anger, and he says, age is cruel. If you see decay, it's because there's decay. If you see frailty, it's because there's frailty. I can't be blamed for what is, and I refuse to hide and disguise what I see. If you're engaged with a fight with something, it's not with me. It's with your own blindness. And Churchill had the painting burned, by the way. You see, this is what Hezekiah is all about, is that he cannot see what's dormant in his heart. And it's dangerous. It's scary. And he needs God to put a circumstance in his life to show him who he really is, ultimately to show him that he needs a Savior. He needs, he needs the same redemption he's been trying to get his people to be excited about. And so that's what we're going to talk about. All right? That you bring you wherever you go, and God's going to use circumstances to show us what we are like, that we are part of Jesus' dysfunctional family, people in need of grace. And I love the Joni Erickson Tata quote, because we don't really know what we're like. She says we're like tea bags. You don't know what's beneath the surface, what they're really made of until you put them in hot water. Some seep sweetness, but others seep bitterness. But all, you see what happens when God turns up the heat. And this is from somebody who's an invalid. And so let's look at it. You're going to see that God uses two different ways to show us what's in the human heart. And you're going to see, Hezekiah's like us. You're going to see good news and bad news. But God uses crises and comfort. And you're going to see, I'm just going to ask you, do you have the ability by God's grace to, to see who, who you really are? So Isaiah 38, it's about unwavering faith in the midst of crisis. Hezekiah is sick, and God told him he's going to die. But there's more to it than that. It's not just that he's on his deathbed as a young man. He's about my age. He came to power at a young age at 25. He's somewhere around his mid to late 30s. But outside of the city gates is the nation of Assyria, the world's great power in the day. You can see that in 38, chapter, verse, uh, verse 6 there, where God says, I'm going to not only deliver you from your sickness, I'm also going to deliver the city from Assyria. And so here's what's going on. This is important background. I mean, the most powerful nation in the world is knocking on Jerusalem's door. And thousands, I think at least 185,000 men, soldiers, are outside the city gates. And Hezekiah had already tried to bribe this power to get them off their back. And they took the money and stayed there. All right, that, that didn't work. And so now sitting outside the city is the, the over, just the terrifying reality that death is coming for everybody. 
They've besieged the city. It's smart warfare. You don't attack while the soldiers are strong and wanting to defend their homes. You just camp out there and block off their food and water. Weaken the soldiers, destroy morale, do everything you can to break, break them down. And you can read in, in chapters 36 and 37, they were brutal. The king of Assyria sent his ambassador in and he brilliantly turns in front of the hearing of everybody in the local language in Hebrew, uh, declares that they're all going to die, essentially. It's not going to go well for them. And the leaders are saying, well, don't use that language. Everybody understands you. Speak Aramaic so we can understand you, but they don't. And the, the Assyrian ambassador says, well, isn't it up to them to hear the bad news? That they're going to eat their dung and drink their urine and they're going to die a horrible death? Don't trust Hezekiah. Don't listen, listen to your king. He's going to say, trust Yahweh. Don't listen to him. Look at the destruction that we've left. City after city cried out to their God, and they are all under our thumb. And in the midst of this, Hezekiah gets sick and is on his deathbed. The one who's called to be Israel's champion, their king, their leader, their spiritual head, he's about to die. So it's an international crisis. This is a personal crisis. What's in Hezekiah's heart? Actually, I could say it's even worse. He doesn't even have a child. There's no one to pick up the, the leadership gap. And in the history of the Bible, if Hezekiah doesn't have a child, the line of the Messiah is at stake. Right. Everything is falling apart. Now, how does Hezekiah respond? And we reread his prayer. He responds with faith in the midst of terrible times. He prays, Please, O Lord, I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart. I've done what's good in your sight. He's, he's looking back and saying, Look what I've done for your kingdom. And he begs and pleads like any of us would. It's a good thing. If you are sick, cry out for mercy. God, heal me. That's a good thing. But then he also weeps bitterly. He says, my eyes are tired of looking up for help. I'm oppressed. Help me, God. I walk slowly because of the bitterness of soul. And so here's what I want you to see. When the heat is turned up on Hezekiah, he does the right thing. He turns in his weakness, in faith, to his God. He's a righteous king in this moment. He weeps and prays in faith. Hezekiah, who are you? He is a man of faith. This is the kind of king that God wanted to lead his people, that they would finally put their trust in Yahweh, and God would then protect and defend his people because of the faith of their champion, their king. And this is the kind of thing we love, is it not? We'd rather hear how Hezekiah succeeded as a man of faith than how he failed but he succeeded through weakness. I mean, just think about it. This is what crisis is all about, that I do not have in myself the resources to put my life back together again. I'm weak. God, I need your help. I need you to come deliver me. I need you put, to put Humpty Dumpty back together again because I pushed him off the wall. We love strength in the face of trial and tribulation because that's, that gives me hope that I too can, can do the right thing, that I can put one foot in front of the other, that I can press on, right? That's, that's what Churchill is so inspirational. 
I mean, all his quotes, never give up, never give in, never, 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 nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to the convictions, convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to the apparent overwhelming force of the enemy. I mean, he just pushed people through his strength. We love that courage, even in our weakness. Or John Patton, he trusted God in, in horrible circumstances, the missionary to the cannibals. You get all kinds of illustrations because that's what I'm teaching the kids in, in chapel. I'm reading his story. But he faced death throughout his entire ministry. And at one point, you know, this is an example of great faith in the midst of crisis. He'd already lost his wife and child. He's there alone. And these men are continually harassing him. And people are terrified to come to church because the local witch doctors said, if you do, you're going to die. Right? I wouldn't come either if I was told I was going to die if I had to come here. Right? That's a lot of pressure. And so this is what John Patton did. He went out, he, he gathered where the witch doctors were, and it was said that if, if they had a piece of fruit that you had eaten, uh, he, the witch doctors then had the power to kill you. And so John Patton grabbed three pieces of fruit, took a bite, handed them to each of the witch doctors, and said, all right, I dare you, kill me. So they huddled up, and, and they couldn't do it. They said, well, we've got to get our buddies. We're going to go do this. By next week, I guarantee you'll be dead. Our gods will kill you. And all week long, everybody on the island is just closely watching. You know, they kept poking him. Are you okay? Are you dead yet? <laughs> but by the next, Saturday, the next Sunday... He was still alive. He was a man of faith in the midst of crisis. And he turned to all the people and said, do you know why I'm still alive? My God is stronger than your God. That's the kind of courage we want in the midst of crisis. But the beauty of Hezekiah is he's not just strong in faith. He's also, um, he's weak while he's strong. And it's, put out there, as I would argue, as a model of, of faith, that he's weeping. He's lamenting, and that it's okay. I mean, he's looking out at his life, his world, it's about to come crashing down, and he's overwhelmed, and he falls apart, and he says, it feels like a lion is munching on my bones, and all my bones are breaking. This is horrible. And that's an act of faith. He cries himself to sleep. He says, my life is tearing me apart. This is what I want you to see. That Hezekiah, as a man of faith, who's weeping bitterly, is about what he's about to lose, what he thinks he's about to lose. Real faith doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to stand strong and, and, and not fall apart emotionally. Faith is leaning on the God who's, who is our strength. And that means we have the freedom to weep. This is a lamentation. It lamentation says Kathleen O'Connor names what is wrong. It says what is out of order in God's world. It's what you name what's keeping human beings from thriving in all their creative potential. Simple acts of lament, like we read in this brutal prayer. It exposes these conditions, it names them, and makes them visible in God's eyes for remedy. This is, this is faith. Faith that is the freedom to be weak 
because it believes that God is strong. That, that's what happens in Hezekiah when the heat is turned up. He has this unwavering faith in the midst of crisis. He turns to God, and God delivers him. That's what Hezekiah's name means. In the Hebrew, it's something like, the Lord has strengthened me. Now, you see this. I mean, Hezekiah has come through this first test, so to speak, with flying colors. But what happens when he's comfortable and when he's all alone? We see this in chapter 39. He has a wavering faith in the midst of comfort. I mean, if you stop and think about it, if you did not have chapter 39 included in Hezekiah's life story, you could turn... Take a step back, look at Jesus' family tree and say, here's a model of faith, here's a man of faith. I, I can see why he deserves to be here. But God wants to show Hezekiah what's in his heart and use Hezekiah to show us what's in our heart. That here's a man who loved God and loved his kingdom but who had divided loyalties, just like the rest of us. Because what happens is along... God delivers Hezekiah from his sickness, gives him 15 more years of life, and saves the city dramatically from the Assyrian army. And one night, 185,000 men are killed by an angel of death. It's a miraculous salvation. And so you picture this. Hezekiah is at the top. He's passed with flying colors. And along come, he successfully defended God's city, God's people, through his faith. And along comes the Babylonian messengers with a different weapon. Flattery. I don't know if you're, how familiar you are with the Bible's history, but eventually Babylon's going to take the city of Jerusalem and take everybody into exile as, as an instrument of God's justice. They're not quite yet the, the world's terror where they would roll into cities, take the best and the brightest, carry them back through the desert into Babylon. They would... They would humiliate people by putting giant fish hooks through their mouth, to, you know, just like they went out for a fishing trip with the guys. So this is, Babylon's a big deal. They're just far away, and Hezekiah can't see the danger. And so when they come and say, congratulations, good job, buddy, Hezekiah has no problem saying, come, let me show you how great I am. Here's my kingdom. The armory, the wealth, the power, he's, you know, he's puffing himself up. He basically gives Babylon everything they need to know to come in later and destroy the city. I mean, it's not solely on Hezekiah's shoulders, but in real space and real time, what Hezekiah did was help make it possible later in life. I mean, Hezekiah went from up here to down here. And at least in the end of chapter 39, he didn't seem to have too much remorse. Yeah. You scared me, Isaiah, but at least it's not going to happen in my day. Right. Now remember, why is this happening? It's to show Hezekiah what's in his heart. That there's a loveless Scrooge lurking. And it's fascinating. This is how God tests you and I. To show us what's in our heart. For some of us, when we get in crisis mode, we fall apart and we have no idea how to stay strong and when things are, are coming crashing down. It's a crisis. They're the ones that get us. 
that say, I, I, can't, I can't trust God while my life is difficult. For others, that, that pushes us closer to God. That, that's where we shine. I mean, I can remember some great moments in my past when, spiritually, so to speak, of, I got robbed, I, got, I was poor and penniless in another country. And I was able to say, you know, this stinks, but God's going to take care of me. But, you know, I come back here to comfortable America, and my computer doesn't work, and it should work, and these little things, you know, blow up my whole world. It's irrational anger. It's like, so this is what God does. He sends comfort in crises to show us what's in our heart, to call us to be people of faith. And people of faith, according to this picture in Hezekiah, to say it's okay to be weak, because weakness calls us to put our strength in God. Right. So look at Hezekiah's wavering faith. He's lulled to sleep by comfort and flattery and success. What Assyria couldn't get into by an army, Babylon could get into just through flattery. And it teaches us that the heart is deceitful. That really comfort, wealth, you know, power, having somebody say, you're great, these are the things that bring our lives crashing down. Because pride get creeps in, and we get comfortable. I get comfortable. I'm not picking on you. I'm pick, this is all of us here. Our vision blurs, and instead of thinking of ourselves as weak, we think of ourselves as strong. And that's when you get in trouble. We start to believe it. You know? You know, the, ir- the irony is, you think about Hezekiah, as a man of great faith, he's acting like the king of Assyria. Earlier in the book of Isaiah, this is, he summarizes how the king of Assyria, this brutal king, uh, looked at his life. Right, here it is, this is Isaiah chapter 10. He says, By the strength of my hand, I've done it. By my wisdom, I have, for I have understanding. It's my wisdom that I have removed the boundaries of the peoples. I've plundered their treasures. Like a bull, I brought down all these people who sit on thrones. And he's saying, I am awesome. Look at my power. Look at my greatness. He's comfortable. And Hezekiah starts acting just like him. He starts boasting in what he has and what he's done by showing off what he's got, what God has given him. So, what's the point? This is where we're going to bring it to an end. God uses crises and, and moments of comfort to show us hard truths about ourselves. That really is what this whole Advent series has been about, that we would see our flaws, we would see our weaknesses, we would see our struggles, and think about Advent and create in us this, this angst, this longing, and say, I need help. I need a Savior. I need a perfect one to come. Because when I look out into all the earth, when I look into my heart, all I see is weakness. Right. You look at Jesus' family tree in Matthew chapter 1, every single one of them, they have a wavering faith. Something got them. It may not have been a love of money, but maybe it was a love of women. Or maybe it was a love of power. Uh, maybe it was a love of family. 
trying to create a perfect family. And you got Jacob, just saying, God, I just want my father to love me. And look at all the destruction that caused. Or Rahab in the middle of war, where two nations are colliding, you know, political power. Um, David was God's best man, so to speak, in the Old Testament. He was seduced by power and lust, a beautiful woman. I mean, everybody in Jesus' family tree, including Hezekiah, and this is the whole point, have been seduced by this whole idea of that I need to live for my glory, my greatness, my power, my beauty. I want to boast in me. And it led to their undoing. That's how it became a dysfunctional family in the first place. That's where the heartlessness came from. (laughs) I want my kingdom to be great. And I don't care who it hurts along the way. And this is what theologian uh, Gerhard Ford, as we do, he calls it the glory story. This is how you can evaluate everything in the world. There are two kinds of stories in the world. For those who try and make themselves great, and then you have the story of the cross. Because the glory story says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You know the story. And so God says, I want you to look at David as he really is. I want you to look at Hezekiah as he really is. Here's a mirror. How do you think you really are? (laughs) And what it does is prepare us for the lighting of the Christ candle, (laughs) the coming of the one, the one true king, the one whom your heart is longing for, the one who will be your champion, who will be your king, who will obey, who will not be seduced by comfort and by flattery, who doesn't care what the world thinks. Preparing us for the coming of Jesus. God come in the flesh to rescue and redeem for himself a people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations to be his trophies of grace. To say, this is how I'm working in the world. Because think about it. How did, how did Jesus come into this world? To show off his greatness. As a helpless little baby born in a barn in the backwoods of Bethlehem. And the very first people he told, it wasn't the kings, it was the hated shepherds, the scum of the earth, so to speak, the people that nobody respected. And you start to compare Jesus with all these people, and you start to get a picture of what our redemption is like. I mean, Hezekiah, the heartless king, the one who cared more about his own comfort and power and glory, lost it. He lost the kingdom, but Jesus came in weakness and and despised. He didn't care about being uncomfortable for your sake. He gave up the glory. He gave up the power. We have a king in Jesus who came because he loves us. And that love never, never wavered. Remember Gethsemane? It's another picture of of a king crying out to God for deliverance. As Jesus is facing the cross, what he has to go through to to redeem you, to love you, to give you God's perfect love. And he falls apart. He's sweating drops of blood as he cries out to God, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, because I know I'm about to go through 
hell itself to make them your children. All your wrath is going to come to me. I'm going to have to drink that cup of wrath down to the last drops, down to the dregs. And it's, I can't handle it. But Lord, not my will, your will be done. He didn't waver one bit out of love for his father and out of love for you as he went to the cross to bring you into Jesus' great dysfunctional family. I mean, you got this picture that the, the righteous king cried out, or the unrighteous king, Hezekiah, he cried out for deliverance, for healing, and God answered him, he saved him. But Jesus, the perfect king, he cried out for help. And God said, no, you must suffer. And you must suffer for my people, for your people. Why did he do that? So that you might have peace and security for all the rest of your days. Maybe not here on this earth, but when heaven comes down. You see, this is what Christmas is about. This is what faith in this Jesus is about. That it's okay to be weak. Because Jesus shows us that he even uses weakness to demonstrate his strength. Because the very heart of our faith is God dying for us. That is where he is most glorified. <laughs> he says, "My mo-, this is how Jesus described it. My moment of greatness is when I am the most humiliated for your sake, when I am the most weak because God is my strength and he can, he can even raise me from the dead. So my question for you this morning is, are you okay with being weak? Are you comfortable with the portrait that you need grace? Or are you going to get angry like Churchill and try and burn the painting? (laughs) Because this is the teaching of Hezekiah, that God brings us through comfort at times, and it's going to show us who we are, whether we really care about this God or not when we're comfortable, or he's going to put us through crises. And it's a perfect moment to say, I am weak, God, I need your strength. All right, this, is what, this is the Apostle Paul. My grace will make you strong. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. This is what Paul's proud of. <laughs> I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so for Jesus' sake, the one who was weak for me, I'm content with being weak, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. I will go through hell for the one who, who gladly went through hell for me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this is it's one big application to stand up and say, I'm weak, but my God is strong. And he is a God of grace. So this Advent season, I, I pray that This would put in you a holy longing for a savior. And remember, you do not serve a heartless king. (laughs) Jesus gives grace to the weak. And he gives a song for sighing, as we sang, and songs for darkness. So run or walk or crawl, but crawl in faith towards your king, and he will embrace you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for realistic pictures of people that you have put in the scriptures. Uh, 
People are really strong in moments of crisis and, and, and really weak at times. Uh, they have divided loyalties like we do. So we ask that you would bind our hearts to you because we are prone to wander and that your grace uh, would attract us, that we would find you beautiful and that we would run to you and, and be okay saying, I am weak, God, I need your help. Be with me no matter where you lead me. So you thank you for this great love where you promise to never leave nor abandon us no matter what we go through because of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.